It's they're two and or six and two. No, five and two. Six and two? Seven and two? One and two? Eight and two? Five and two. Four and two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Bingo! <laughs> lost count i wasn't sure where you're going with it so I was like, <laughs> here's the shovel Derek. keep digging right? i was like how many games have we talked about too many too many to count <laughs> mr chad cox What's going on? How much? How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing okay. The wolves. Uh, the wolves made a coaching change. They uh, had a lot of fun in their first game for about a quarter and a half, and then they realized they were playing Milwaukee. But besides that, things are going well. How you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, kind of a shocking time to make a coaching change. I was not. I kind of went to bed after um, Sunday night's game. None the wiser. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was still awake at 1030, but I didn't see my phone was in the other room. So I didn't see any of the the tweets or any of the alerts until the next morning. And I was a little bit shocked. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I normally hit the snooze button a few times in that alarm. But when I, when I checked my phone to see what time it was, as I reached over, I saw the notifications in the morning and realized uh, it was not time to go back to sleep. It was time to figure yeah. out what was going on. So. Yeah, I mean, I kind of guess I, I wouldn't have been shocked had they made a change like closer to the All-Star break or even during the All-Star break. But, you know, on a Sunday night after a couple hard fought games and, you know, none of them went our way, but it wasn't like the team was getting blown away. So it just kind of seemed odd timing. But yeah, I mean, the, the Saunders firing wasn't the surprise. I think everybody saw that coming at some point this season for a while now. The right. only the only thing holding it off was the health of the team and the fact they didn't have a full roster. But the the fact that they brought in Chris Finch from Toronto in the middle of the season was was very surprising. I think they said that that hadn't happened since two thousand nine. So, right, it was a, a bit of a change, a bit of a shock, especially with the process that they went through. But we will save the real deep dive into that for another time, probably our next episode, because tonight it's historical night, baby. Back to nineteen ninety, the second half of the season. You excited? Yes, I'm fired up. You sound fired up. <laughs> Actually, I did. So I watched a couple like old clips of a couple of the guys. And I watched uh, a Pooh Richardson. Had nothing to do with the Wolves, but a, a college game, which I don't know why, because I I knew this, but for whatever reason, I wasn't thinking about it since we started this podcast that Pooh Richardson and Reggie Miller played on the same team in UCLA. Mm-hmm. I just it never like I knew that, but then like this whole time of doing the podcast, like I never really revisited that in my own head yeah that. it's it's just so funny because Pooh spent i mean not to get too far out of ourselves but Pooh didn't spend a, a long time in minnesota i mean he, he was no. here for multiple years but not you know not 12 years or anything like that and we we always think of him and we always look back at him as a, a young player and just kind of a timberwolves point guard and it's like you know he's that same generation he's the reggie miller you know generation and that seems reggie miller at this point seems so old and so long right. ago but right. i never think of Pooh because he just disappeared after he left yeah. the nba like if you would have told me even just last last episode for example if you had just said well yeah reggie miller was drafted two years before Pooh, they mm-hmm. played on the same clutch team i'd be like no yeah even though i am i actually did know that you know yeah this whole time i just would have like no, no. yeah you're no. right he did they did but yeah in my head it's like even jordan Jordan wasn't even around that long. I mean, he was still, uh, you know, a Carl Anthony mm-hmm. Towns in the league at this point. Yeah, he'd only been in five United, years by the time he yeah. was drafted. Yep. Yeah, but yet, in my, even watching it back then, I was thinking, well, Jordan's been around forever, yeah. you know, because he was already a MVP. A super duper you know, star. Yep. Year. yep, yep. So it's just, it is so weird. I mean, it's different anyway as you get older. When you're a kid, time, you know, is so much longer where... Yeah. I mean, know, so I'm, many of the players that we're going to talk about in these coming seasons, like the only impression in my mind of them is that short period of time with the Timberwolves. Right. You know, we like, didn't have, we didn't have enough big names on our team for them to go on and become broadcasters or stick around in the media afterwards. And you just kind of lose track. And all of a sudden it's like, Nope, that's just who they are forever. But like Pooh probably played, and I would have, I'm guessing I'm not looking at his career stats, but he probably played more games or more seasons with the Clippers over his career but yet, you say Pooh Richardson, I immediately think Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. our first first round pick. Yep. You know, that's probably the case. That, you know, Clippers fans probably think of him as a Clipper, 
but um, you know, more so I think for the Wolves because he's your first first round pick. Mm-hmm. He's just synonymous with the team, especially that that first expansion season. Well, this will be a very poo heavy episode because Pua <laughs> kind of started coming into his own during the the second half of the season. So, I uh, found a, a few noteworthy storylines that were the team was dealing with heading into the All Star break. Um, just found a note saying that the the Lakers uh, had it, the, their scouts had suggested taking Gary Leonard in the nineteen eighty nine draft near the end of the first round, um, but Jerry West overruled them and took Vlade Divac instead. So I'd say that that worked out well for them and possibly not as well for the Timberwolves. Yeah, well, what do you know? Jerry West was right about a player. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's going to start a trend, I think, for him. <laughs> but uh, uh, another thing is that a lot of the game recaps uh, that you saw from the first about two-thirds of this season all followed mainly the same storyline. And there was a big third-quarter lead for the Wolves, followed by a fourth-quarter collapse. And I, I noted that down mainly because it hit so close to home for what I was we're say, watching wait, this I year. We're yeah. a, I yeah. thought we were doing a historical episode. Absolutely, right? yeah. <laughs> I just I kept reading it over and over and over again, and I was like, "Oh man, it's just." Is that weird? Because last episode we were talking about you know at, at the twenty game mark, yeah, both teams are five and fifteen. Now here we are, like the same. They're losing the same way, running up big leads and then just collapsing. And I yeah. think the difference in the collapse now is youth and inexperience. The collapse in eighty nine ninety was the guys were just fatigued because they were playing forty eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just... and it's it's so funny because we attribute a lot of the collapses this year to inexperiences, especially on the coaching side, and all of the mistakes that Ryan Saunders has been making. Yet they had a veteran coach in Bill Musselman that first year, and maybe they weren't the best team in the league because they were an expansion team and they didn't have a lot of all. They didn't have an all star on the team like the the Wolves do now. But it was just still kind of the same thing. They really have trouble closing out games in the fourth quarter for, like I said, for about the first two thirds of the season. Yeah, but if they had guys, you know, if if the Ty Corbins and Tony Campbells and even the Poos of the world were playing 30, 35 minutes a game and still had energy to close with the fourth, they probably would have been winning. I mean, so that, you know, you can blame us for that. But I think at the same time, you also didn't have, you know, say what you want about this current Wolves team. I still think the talent level is far greater than yeah. it was yeah. on the 89-90 team, so. So our, our favorite uh, first-half MVP that we talked about last time, Tony Campbell, he was actually a candidate for uh, the January Western Conference Player of the Month. He did not end up winning, but he was he was nominated, so I think he was the first Wolf, Wolves player to get the, that recognition. Um, and then we, we had discussed the holdouts by multiple players heading into this season, and uh, there had been reports that the, the Wolves had said they would discuss contracts with Tyrone Corbin and Steve Johnson heading into the All-Star break. So they wanted to see them for half the season before they were willing to discuss discuss contracts. And for Corbin and his willingness to show up, worked out great. And we'll, we'll for get both, to... I mean, he was crushing for the Wolves in eighty nine ninety. Yep, he was one of their top two or three players. So. Yeah, Steve Johnson, not so much. No. he had a uh, he had held out held out for the first two months of the season, um, and then the when he finally decided to come back, the Wolves screwed up that possibility of trading him and getting any value from him so much that they went from getting offers of one first and two second round picks from phoenix to teams literally walking away because he couldn't play more than 20 minutes a night due to his conditioning and it just it was all due to his frustrating attitude and muscleman refusing to play him because he didn't play the right style and this was uh, the team's third overall pick in that expansion draft and this one did not really turn out the way they were hoping for it didn't even turn out as favorably as the uh rick mahorn deal right well and that's you know though shows you that either whether it was Musman or just the wolves organization as a whole you know their lack of interest in young play like they they either really badly wanted to win mm-hmm. right away or they really just don't value or at this point draft picks that they would rather have you know they might have want young players but they don't want guys fresh out of college because they passed up, you know, multiple picks in various Mahorn offers before eventually settling on the deal they got. Yep. And then here here again with Steve Johnson. So, I mean, if you would just go back in time, you look at that team, you, you get a couple of young guys that end up being your core for a while. Like Sam Mitchell, it's an older rookie, but he's a rookie. Doug West is a rookie. Pooh Rich is a rookie. And you add a couple additional first-round picks over the next year or two. I mean, you, you know, you might have a pretty nice court now. We'll find out they botched some of those picks anyway. Yeah. They 
even in their own it's picks. Still they had. Minnesota making the picks, but sure. But you know, it at least you know from a, today's era, teams that's the only thing you trade veterans for are mm-hmm. picks. You know, if you're a struggling team, you, all you want is picks. And back then, at least with this Minnesota team, they did not value draft picks whatsoever. Nope. Anytime they made a trade, and we'll get another one coming up at the trade deadline here, but they would make a trade for another player at a position of more need or somebody that Musselman felt he could trust more. It was never for the future. So um, so they we talked about they came into the All-Star break 10-36, and 36, not exactly having a, a rock star season. To be expected, but still possibly behind where at least Musselman wanted him to be when he wants to win every single game. But they come out and they have a very strong start to the second half of the season. They they lose in overtime to the Utah Jazz, which is unfortunate because Carl Malone had missed the All-Star game to, due to a, an ankle injury, but he decided that he was healthy enough to play in the first game back against Minnesota. Um, but then they actually went four in a row uh, after that game. So four wins and an overtime loss is a pretty strong stretch for, for this expansion team. They beat Charlotte um, in the first game. They win the, the fourth quarter 31-12, to so they, they kind of break that streak of poor fourth quarter execution there uh campbell some had, huge you know, yeah. as i say a big big performance from campbell in that game yeah 33 points um you know it just you're relying on the stars still but yeah they they find a way to win by outscoring their opponent mm-hmm. 10 rebounds with eight of them being offensive for campbell in that game which i think to me just kind of stood out as a trend too lots of games where guys would have just an abnormal amount of offensive rebounds so that must have really just been something that muscleman hammer home is crashing that offensive glass and and wings yeah it was him and corbin were and and a little bit sam mitchell but you know he's a a forward but uh or a power forward primarily but you know ty corbin playing small forward camel playing Mm -hmm. shooting guard i mean those guys are they're big guys at those positions yeah they are big but you know and and but still you know getting some of these high rebound numbers that, that we see yep. throughout the season. Second game, they beat uh, the aforementioned Reggie Miller in, in the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Poos has 24 points, 12 assists, uh, season high in points at that point. So, what, what Poos seemed to always have good games against Indiana, which you know is probably why they were so infatuated with them mm-hmm. later on down the road. <laughs> Third game, they beat Atlanta. They out-rebound Atlanta 55-38, to despite Atlanta starting Dominique Wilkins, Moses Malone, and Kevin Willis on their front line. And as we mentioned, Minnesota got a lot of their rebounding from their from their wings. They had Randy Brewer up front, you know, so he's standing 7'3 at, at that time, but he was never a, a high-rebound guy, even after Minnesota got him. So they were doing a lot of their damage on the glass with, with their wings, and that was pretty impressive to, to out-rebound that front line of Atlanta. Yeah, another Corbin 12-rebound game, you know, when mm-hmm. he's playing against Dominique Wilkins, who, if you remember our first episode, talked about the expansion draft. That's who I thought Ty Corbin was going to be, was the next Dominique Wilkins right. as yep. a kid. <laughs> just remind me of him so much. So, yeah, Corbin at 26 and 12. Campbell at 26 and 8 assists. Poo with another 23.7 assist game. So, lots of individual performances, and they're actually stacking up to winning here at this point, Chad. It's been pretty fun. Um, and they close out the winning streak with a, a win at Houston over Hakeem Olajuwon and that team. Pooh had 17 and 14, and once again a 69 to 41 rebounding advantage. Yeah, I mean Pooh's really putting up some eye popping numbers here in this. Yeah, stretch. I mean if, if Edwards had been had a four game stretch this year where he was putting up 24, 25, 26 points, 14 assists, you know, a, a night, we'd be losing our minds. Oh yeah, it, you know, he would be getting the attention that we're all complaining that he's not getting nationally. Yeah. So a funny note is that Steve Johnson, our favorite Steve Johnson, who has at this point not only been improperly used and held out but tanked his own trade uh, trade value, was kicked out of practice prior to the game. And at this point, there's only two days till the trade deadline. So he and Musselman are getting along so poorly that he's not even being allowed to stick around to practice. Yeah, and you wonder what he did. I mean, you know, I can't imagine Musselman had a real long leash with any player. Mm-mm. So. It might have been a minor thing maybe back at it, but um, yeah, clearly he was disgruntled and wanted yeah. out. Muscleman just being done with him by that point. Yeah. So they actually made him dress uh, for the next game, even though Muscleman didn't want him on the bench because they they said that if he didn't dress and he wasn't on the on the floor, it would hurt his trade value even more since there were only two days left before the trade deadline. So Muscleman consented and let him sit on the bench, which unfortunately ended their winning streak with a, a two point loss to the league's worst team, the New Jersey Nets, which sounds very wolfish to me. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And then I, the, that New Jersey Nets team during that era was just putrid. Oh, so bad. <laughs> so, 
All right, so we're heading into the trade deadline. The Wolves are four and two since the since the All Star break. They got to be feeling pretty good about themselves despite that Nets loss, and they they do make a deal. Steve Johnson is finally shipped out, but as we mentioned, it's it's not for a draft pick. It's not for the the first round first rounder and two second rounders that Phoenix offered them earlier in the year. This is to uh, Seattle for seven foot small forward Brad Sellers. Chad, you got yeah. any good memories of Brad Sellers? I mean, I, I remember the, the, what I remember most about him was he was the guy that passed the ball to Jordan. He played for the Bulls. He mm-hmm. passed the ball to Jordan with, for what became the shot, which eliminated the Cleveland Cavaliers from the sure. playoffs. Yep. Um, so that's what I remember most about him. I mean, he did make some appearances in some articles after the uh, last dance aired this last summer. So there were some other good stories mm-hmm. that I read about um, about him, you know, from his his time with with the Bulls and Michael Jordan. He um at one point, you know, he started to grow frustrated. He had, you know, one decent season or, or semi-decent season for the Bulls where he averaged just under 10 points a game. Um, but that the following season, the the Chicago Bulls had drafted Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen. So his role clearly was going to be diminished. And he wanted to get out of there. And so he actually went to Michael and asked Michael to help him force his way out. And Jordan said, are you sure you want to leave? And and Brad Seller said, yep, I'm sure. And the next day, he gets a, a tap on the shoulder by the manager of the Olive Garden he was eating lunch at. And Michael Jordan had tracked him down, called the restaurant, told the manager to let him know that you're going to be traded to Seattle tomorrow. Best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he got his way. He uh, That's an abnormal communication style for a trade. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this is before cell phones. So right. I don't, you know, I mean... What I was wondering when I was reading that story is how did Michael even know he was at Olive Garden? <laughs> maybe maybe Olive Garden was just his place. Like you just where's bread? Probably at Olive Garden again. Yeah. Well, and then secondarily, why is Michael actually calling the manager himself? Why didn't <laughs> why, why didn't one of Michael's bobos or one of the Bulls? You yeah. Know, Somehow inform Brad. Yeah. Right. But no, Jordan's calling, talking to the manager of the Olive Garden. So that's just the whole thing's kind of funny to me, but. Um, but yeah, he was traded for a draft pick, the 18th pick, which ended up becoming B.J. Armstrong. So he uh, he did contribute to the first run <laughs> of go. titles yep. for the Bulls, but just <laughs> indirectly. Um, but he was a big kid. I mean, even in high school, like by the time he hit high school, like ninth, tenth grade, he was already seven feet tall um, and played in the Big Ten. I'm sure that's probably where I, why Must was interested in him mm-hmm. was because he played for two years for Wisconsin and then he transferred and played two more years for Ohio State. But but yeah, like you said, you know, seven foot tall, but didn't play. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, in college, he, did, he had, you know, in Ohio State, for example, he did average, you know, nearly 18 points and 11 rebounds a game is uh, two seasons there. But in the NBA, he was never a double digit scorer and, or rebounder. So he sort of a journeyman player. What a monster. Seven feet yeah. in ninth grade. Like, <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Like, I mean, well, my son plays seventh grade basketball and we, there's a kid in in the tournament that we've run across now the last two years, who's legit. I'm, I'm over six feet and he's legit three or four inches taller than me. Yeah. And, and last year he's like this skinny spindly kid this year. He was jacked. <laughs> like, <laughs> like one of the, so much. So the one of the moms came to me, she's like, that kid's not in seventh grade. I'm like, no, we played him last year. She's like, well, look at these muscles on him. Like, right. Yeah. Those are new. <laughs> <laughs> what do they feed these kids these days? Yeah. So I mean, there were seven foot kids there. Although this kid had more muscles on him. The kid that we just played in seventh grade had more muscles on him than Brad Sellers had as a that's NBA true. player. Yep. Maybe that's why <laughs> so. Brad Sellers was at Olive Garden all the time. He's trying to carbo Maybe. load. Yeah, yeah, trying to add some weight. Yeah. There was a team uh, mandate that he, every meal had to be fettuccine Alfredo from Olive Garden. Oh, what a deal. That'd I be know. sweet. Never-ending fettuccine Alfredo. Olive Garden, you get the bread, free bread too. <laughs> bread sticks. So many bread sticks. <laughs> remember, so, yeah, Ed- remember Eddington's? I do remember Eddington's. Oh, remember their bread sticks? I do. That was the only thing I liked there. You guys dragged me there for lunch and it was the best. Soup. I didn't like soup. I just like the breadsticks. Oh no, I don't like soup either. Soup is the worst. But <laughs> you get the the Wisconsin cheddar cheese soup and thirty breadsticks, and you don't even get a spoon. It's just a, a dipping sauce for breadsticks at that point. It's like a chowder. Then I gotta Google them. I gotta see if there's any Eddingtons within like a five state range. Take a road trip. <laughs> That'd be fun. Then Girls, you just... get in the car. <laughs> we're going to soup. We're getting, yeah, we're getting cheese soup. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's worth it. It's totally worth it. 
But uh, so the Wolves are going to owe a second round pick uh, in 1991 to Seattle for this trade if they extend a qualifying offer to Sellers, who's going to be an under- or a restricted free agent at the end of the season. So um, it's kind of a trial run for Sellers here. If the, if he stays on the team, if they extend the qualifying offer, the Wolves will owe a second round pick. Uh, if he doesn't, then uh, they're they're free and clear. So uh, he's 27 years old. He'd average 4.8 points, 1.6 rebounds, and only 13 minutes point per game for Seattle leading up to the trade. So. Uh, they weren't giving up much in Steve Johnson. They also did not get much. But Sellers hopefully would play more than Johnson did leading up to to the trade deadline. And that headache, fortunately, Chad is behind them. That's true. Although you you still even got to wonder if they would have preferred to get the, a first round pick than a uh, seven foot small forward who mm-hmm. was only averaging you know less than five points a game. Well, I'm sure they would have. There was even a story about how a team had call, call, come calling about seller Steve Johnson. Johnson. And um, when they got the chance to talk to him, to him because the negotiations had gone gone well, they were going to offer a first round pick. And they talked to Johnson. And Johnson said, "Like I can't play more than twenty minutes a game. I'm just I'm not in shape. I'm not healthy. I can't do it." And then they backed out of the, the negotiations because he just tanked the deal. Yeah, like do you think he really couldn't play, or do you think he was just trying to screw the Wolves because he was like so frustrated with how things had soured? Well, it wouldn't surprise me either way. Yeah, because didn't he? Didn't he try to get another big deal at the end of this <clears throat> this season? I, th- I feel like he did. I mean, it's neither here nor there. But I feel like he tr- was still trying to negotiate one more big deal after this year. And so it would have been kind of funny that, you know, he tells one team. And maybe it's just a team that he didn't want to go to. Um, but, you know, kind of torpedoes a deal. Mm-hmm. That sounds like spiteful. him. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot yeah. about him. But at this point, that's that's exactly the the impression I'm getting from Steve Johnson. Yeah. So uh, at this point, we're nearing the end of February. Um, there are multiple articles coming out now saying that Pooh is probably second in line for Rookie of the Year so far during at this point in the season, behind only you know the clear-cut front-runner of David Robinson. Um, right, which even at that point, David Robinson was like getting Anthony Davis or LeBron James. Right, I mean, everybody was... knew. It was David Robinson missed his first two years in the league because he spent time with the Navy, and he came in, and everybody knew how good he was going to be immediately. They got to look at him in the Midwest Review leading up to the season, and then he just lit the, the world on fire starting out in day one. So it was, I mean, it was similar to like Joel Embiid missing his first two years with foot injuries, but he have had no minutes restriction. He didn't have any problem, and he was already a, a seasoned uh, veteran in college by the time he was even drafted before that. So um, everybody knew he was going to be Rookie of the Year, and he was already, I, I can't remember if he was an all-star or not, but he was an all-star caliber player the day he stepped yeah. on the floor. Yeah, he was an instant star. I mean, he had the Mr. Robinson commercials from mm-hmm. day one. Like, he was, um, I mean, he was a franchise guy right from the get go. Yeah. So February twenty third, they actually got a chance to play against each other to see uh, who would come out on top. The Wolves end up losing one hundred five ninety five. So San Antonio wins the game. Pooh has eighteen points, eleven assists. So another strong game for Pooh as he continues his streak. David Robinson, on the other hand, 24, 24 points, twelve rebounds, twelve blocks, three steals. <laughs> so <laughs> just ridiculous. I know. And David Robinson, I mean, he, so he's one of my all-time favorite players. Yeah. Those nights were far too common for, <laughs> for that guy. I mean, he had so many double-digit block mm-hmm. nights over the course of his career compared to, like, you look today. I mean, I get the league's changed. You're not going to block as many shots when teams are shooting more three-pointers, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it was just such a force on the defense end, but, you know, also an offensive force. But um, his, his calling card, especially as a rookie, was on defense. I mean, he... Obviously, he the league in scoring a few years later, but um, those first couple of years in San Antonio, Robinson was, you know, a defensive player of the year candidate. Yeah, I mean, it, and he was never the tallest center in the league. That wasn't his thing. He was probably more closer to 6'10 than he was 7 foot, but he was just a freak athletically. And yeah. I mean, he's one of only five, four different players and five total instances of a player achieving a quadruple double in a game. You know, in, in 94, coming up, or so we're still a few years away from that, but he had 34 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, 10 blocks in the same game. So he's uh, he's quite a player, and I think a lot of us, especially from that generation, just really love David Robinson. And you couldn't even have a, a rivalry with him because of just how much fun he was to watch. Yeah, and I mean, he, and a smart player. Had he play, I mean, you know, for those that remember Tim Duncan, I mean, that Robinson was that before Tim Duncan was. You know, he was even more of a force mm-hmm. than even Duncan was the better offensive player, but they they're so similar in, in the way their mindsets work, you know, that they, they, they were just fundamentally sound yeah. ultimate team un- players. Yep. Yeah. Non-emotional guys. Like they played within the, in the team structure. I mean, it was just, you know, a treat to watch both those guys. Mm-hmm. 
So the Wolves, like we said, have won four of six uh, heading out of the All-Star break. They're going to they're gonna come home. They're going to try to extend their hot streak. Eight of their next 10, ten games are at home. And that's going to be kind of the time to to make a move here, try to move their way up in the standings because after that, fourteen of them fi- of their next of their final nineteen games are going to be on the road. And uh, that's this, a rough schedule that for is. an expansion team. The, this Wolves team is going to prove that they were not a road team. Um, so, but before they Some got of that the, had to do with the Twins were starting up, right? So that that final fourteen of you know right of the they final couldn't be at the Metrodome. Yep. Right. They had less time to be able to play there, so mm-hmm. it wasn't like that. The league was trying to stick it to the Wolves. It was just scheduling conflicts with sharing a stadium with two other sports teams well i'm sure the league was trying to stick it to the wolves <laughs> well, yeah they have that's true the whole 30 years of existence yeah. they've tried to punish nothing but being stuck at two by the by the league so we would be multi-time nba champions if the league hadn't just had a vent out out against us the whole time it's starting with that shaquille O'Neal draft right which, you know. they should have been ours yeah but uh so before they get that stretch started uh they do negotiate with Tyrone Corbin on a contract extension and they they add two more years to his deal through the 93-94 season so they reward him for his strong play um he's going to be bumped up from around 275,000 to 700,000 for the years he has remaining on his contract and then get two more years added for about a million a season so he's going to become the the team's highest paid player at this point and I mean Tony Campbell's probably been their best player but Corbin is not far behind, and the numbers that he's putting right. up are, are pretty good. So, he's and Tony getting... just got his deal, so you know, yep, it, you know, it was it was Corbin's time. Definitely getting rewarded for for his strong play, his willingness to play fifty three minutes a game. You know, if asked by Musselman. So, um, at this point, the Wolves probably hadn't didn't have the best reputation around the league um, with both agents because they were hard to deal with, and agents were unsure of who to talk to in terms of making decisions, whether it was McKinney or. Uh, Musselman or um, why, why, Stein. yeah, Bob Stein. Um, and then also with a bad reputation with players because they had the unwillingness to renegotiate contracts. So hopefully this this move to to reward Corbin for a strong play helps with that. Gets them a little bit of a, a better taste in the mouths of the players around the league, and people see that they they do treat their players right if they show up. So, uh, but this you know definitely well re- well deserved for Tyrone Corbin. Yeah, for sure. So. You- one of the few bright spots of that first first season. Mm-hmm. You know, Corbin was looking like not only a legit starter, but like a budding star at this point. Right. I mean, at this point, they they have to say they have their their backcourt of the future with the way that Pooh and Campbell and Corbin are all playing. They don't have a front court. They don't have a, a ton of depth there. But those yeah, I mean, three, they got Sam, who's shown shown some bright spots. Their center position. They've tried lots of guys here, right? Mm-hmm. They got Steve Johnson. They traded for for um, Randy Brewer. You know, they, they tried a couple other guys early, you know, so that that position and is seems to be one of the key positions for Musselman's system yep. is the one that's the most in flux at this point. So, you know, moving forward, I would not be surprised if they start investing a lot of assets into trying to solve that center position, especially with how they feel about the other players on the roster. But, um, but yeah, you know, another, another story I found was they, when they were on the road, uh, the performer or no, they, the team wasn't even on the road. So Crunch was out on a probably a marketing tour to different towns around the area, trying to get the name out for the Timberwolves. And uh, he ended up having to be put on probation because he did what was called, quote unquote, a little mating dance <laughs> with a performer, a dancer for the Omaha Racers in a, in a rest, restroom of a Nebraska bar. So uh, apparently he had gotten too inebriated one night while out in the road and, uh, gotten caught so he lost his earnings for that appearance was no longer allowed to drink alcohol while in company business so i don't know what that has to do with with this uh season here but that was definitely noteworthy in terms of the well that was that was the start of the the conspiracy theories of the different crunches you know it reminds Mm -hmm. me of my childhood days of the conspiracy theories of the different ultimate warriors yep this was this was the different (laughs) the different crunches well he did have a backup so that had to step in for multiple games when he was suspended so uh, apparently there were multiple crunches at least that first year. Well, and, yeah, and, and I think there always was, um, particularly for these like these outside events. Yeah. Um, just I, yeah. I knew, I didn't know him very well, but I met one of the crunches, uh, and he was kind of explaining to me how the the whole thing worked out. And he said there'd be two or three of them at any given time, and you know that way there'd be one working the mm-hmm. games and mm-hmm. one that could go to the Cub Foods openings and <laughs> things like that on the different events. But um, but yeah, like I you know the the main one, I mean, especially as a kid, you're, you you see him and you think that's just that's just that one guy. Yeah. It's 
all him. And it's, you know, and they, they've done a good job over the years of kind of keeping the same personality. Um, but I remember there was, there was a stark difference at some point and it wasn't this early. So, but I, I just remember people saying, Oh, well, there's a the <laughs> different crunch. Yep. Different yep. That's a, that's a different crunch. Than the original. Well, I worked for the 76ers for a couple of years after college, uh, in their new media department. And I got to know their mascot pretty well. His guy named Bill Roth, and he had been a, a national champion college gymnast before he became a the mascot for for the 76ers. And he was he was a rapping bunny named Hip Hop. You know, I don't know exactly how they made that decision in the first place, but it would it seemed so much of a separation from what I was used to with Crunch because Crunch had his tricks. You know, he'd walk along the railing and do his slip and catch himself right before he'd get hit in the groin or. He'd slide down the stairs, or he'd he'd have a few things, but he never seemed overly athletic, you know. But but Bill, you know, he was literally the most athletic person I've ever met, and he was probably five eight, but he was just a powerhouse and literally could do anything that you want to do. Like he'd lead the team with the the high flying dunks, and he'd have his his show going on, and but everything was because he was probably one of the better athletes on the floor, even with the players. So I don't, sure, I never sure. got that impression out of Crunch either. Well, Crunch would do like the off the trampoline dunks mm-hmm. and, you know, he's always been pretty good at those things. I mean, I think in general, NBA mascots are more entertaining than any of the other sports. Oh, yeah. I mean, football mascots are a waste. No, um, you don't even see them. <laughs> no. And baseball, you know, TC bears just, it's like when they unveiled him, I was like, Oh, come on. You're just right. trying to be like Crunch. It was like a Crunch wannabe. Crunch is also one of the best mascots in all the sports. Yeah. You know, I mean, if the NBA has got the best mascots and of the NBA mascots, Crunch is top five. I mean, he's got to be. And um, so I think the Wolves have been super fortunate, at least from that standpoint, where, when the product hasn't always been great on the court. Mm-hmm. It's always been entertaining in the arena because Crunch has always done such a great job. And really, the organization as a whole, you know, we talked about this um, in one of our Q and A's with each other to get to know each other kind of thing for the podcast where we talked about what was our all time favorite halftime show and mm-hmm. those kinds of things the, the, as an organization, I think the Timberwolves have always done a fantastic job of, yeah. you know, putting together an entertaining product, even if the team wasn't a competitive one, the behind so. the scenes business folks at the Timberwolves always deserve a lot of credit for what they put yeah. out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, ba- you know, back to, back to the season, um, McKinney had been spotted scouting Larry Johnson from UNLV, even though Johnson was only a junior at the time. Um, And he was asked about it, and he had a lot of high glowing things to say about Johnson. But the thing that really stood out to me was that this will come up again. But every time he was asked about a college player in the upcoming draft, he would then bring up Derek Coleman as just out of nowhere without even being asked about it. So you could Derek Coleman was clearly the guy on McKinney's mind heading into the, the upcoming draft. So um, but Derek Coleman was like a big time prospect. He and was. So yep. I, I was a little bit older than you, but I, like he was kind of like a Zion or a Davis or you know, people thought that's what he was going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he he was probably I mean, I wouldn't even call him a bust. I mean, he he, he certainly didn't live up to those lofty. I mean, he's no Anthony Bennett, that's for sure. But right. Right. No, he's he's not. I mean, and if injuries aside, if he didn't have, you know, some chronic knee problems mm-hmm. and you know, I think he even had some back issues, but he was a, you know, uh, he was a really good player. Um, but yeah, he just didn't quite live up to the, the goal or the sort of like what people thought he was going to be. I mean, he, he legit was the clear cut number one, at least from my recollection that everybody just thought he was going to be the next franchise player. Yeah. Um, more so than what we had in the 89 draft, you know, in Pooh's draft and stuff. I mean, outside of David Robinson, um, as a rookie, he wasn't in that draft. So, the the guys that were you know the Danny Ferries and stuff that were at, that led the top of that draft weren't they didn't kind of carry the same sort of cachet that Derek Coleman did the following year mm-hmm. so I, I I don't find it that surprising um, I mean I, I it did when I, I saw some of these stories that you know McKinney was looking at Larry Johnson that kind of made me like ooh because it's like as a kid I you know the, I know Larry Johnson would be two years out yet but he was a guy that yeah I, I, I he was one of the few college players you knew as a kid in Minnesota, because UNLV was such yeah. a big story. So I didn't know much about Derek Coleman other than what I was reading about for NBA draft stories, mm-hmm. um, which was very minuscule compared to today's media. So, yeah. Uh, so, but yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, still months out, but Derek Coleman seems to be the the prize heading into the upcoming, the upcoming draft. So we'll keep that in mind as we, we head into next off season and take a look at where the Timberwolves actually end up. You know, at this point they don't have, 
a great record. They've they've won a few games, but they definitely are going to be in the running for that top overall pick. So we'll see uh, how that ends up. So like we said, they have eight out of ten coming up at home. Uh, they go three and seven uh, over those ten, but two of their losses were the two road games. So they go three and five at home, and this is actually part of a stretch between January 29th and March 15th, where the Wolves go 10-5 and five at home. And they actually turned out to be a very successful and strong home team uh, for a large stretch of this season, which was actually pretty cool to see. Yeah, I'm, and there was a lot of stories throughout that year about, you know, probably not the beginning part of the year, but the the Minnesota having such a good home court advantage. And Minnesota has always sort of been known, especially around this time, um, you know, the, the Vikings always had a good, good crowds and the Twins had a good you know, home following and stuff mm-hmm. as well. So Minnesota was starting to get this reputation as a whole of having, uh, you know, enthusiastic fans yep. at games. Yeah, you know, so they, they built a reputation there. They weren't as good on the road, uh, definitely uh, struggled a bit there. But um, at home, they were winning some games. Um, one of those road games on that stretch, unfortunately, was a game against the Lakers on March 4th. And during halftime of that game, Pooh Richardson was actually informed that his childhood friend, Hank Gathers, um, who was playing for Loyola Marymount at the time and was only a, a year away from entering the NBA himself, had collapsed and died just a few miles away from the arena. So a very sad moment for Pooh um, and probably one of the bigger stories of the year in terms of just basketball in general, not Timberwolves basketball, but overall the storylines of where basketball went that whole year. That was just a very big moment. Yeah, even the last couple of decades, I mean, they did a 30 for 30 special on them, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know, two, three years ago. Um, and, you know, all 30 for 30 specials are fantastic, but really good one on, on Hank Gathers. Um, him and Pooh, you know, started as sort of rivals growing up in Philadelphia. They Their schools would play each other. Um, Pooh won the state title the first year they played against each other. And then Hank Gathers and his brother were kind of led their team and they kind of, you know, dominated their season and ended up they only lost two games that year and both games were outside of their state mm-hmm. um and and the teams they lost to were they had other nba you know future nba players on them um but they did get revenge and beat Pooh richardson in like the semifinals i believe and they ended up winning the state title the second year which was the first one for hank gathers a school sure so uh, but yeah so then they remain close when Pooh went to ucla um, he would invite Hank Gathers out, introduce him to Magic Johnson and Byron Scott because Pooh was already yep. playing with them. You know, even before the draft, when the Wolves selected Pooh, Pooh had already established relationships with some of those Laker players because they were in such close proximity and kind of became friends with Magic and, and Byron Scott and some of those guys. Um, he introduced Hank to them, and Hank would play games with them. And Pooh would tell stories about Hank Gathers would just torment other UCLA players when, in pickup games. You mm-hmm. know, challenging them to fist fights and all of a sudden Pooh's like, dude, you can't, <laughs> can't, you can't act like that with these guys out here. They're, they're not used to this. You know, that they're, that it's just, this isn't part of their game. They don't know that you're just challenging them. They, they think you really want to fight. <laughs> they're not going to want you out here anymore. So like he was, Pooh wasn't, was not phased by it. I mean, he had competed against Hank Gathers and became friends with him. So he kind of knew he had a good heart and, and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, definitely was a, uh, a huge blow to, to Pooh, you know, losing such right. a close friend at, you know, such an early age um, was devastating to him. Yeah, they've been talking for, for years about joining the NBA together, and Gathers was projected to be one of the top picks of the upcoming draft. You know, he the year before his passing, he had actually led the nation in both rebounding and scoring, which was quite a feat. He was a beast, and so... On his team at Loyola, they had Bo Kimball as well, who mm-hmm. is, I think, a lot of people thought was the better player of the two, but both were, yeah, you know, surefire NBA players. Um, but actually, that so the game I was t- talking about at the beginning of this episode, where I one of the games I watched, where I saw Pooh playing with Reggie Miller, and it just kind of chucked me back into remembering they were on the same team at one point. It was against Loyola and playing Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball, and it was just you know. Yep. kind of a fun game so i started kind of then i get down this rabbit hole on youtube and i, I was watched some clips of gathers playing against lsu against Shaq and stanley roberts sure uh, yeah and Shaq dunked on him like twice they call a timeout <laughs> they're trying to calm gathers down and you know gathers the anime and, and so some of this is the game i watch and then i kind of looked up stories on it and i was reading about too and gathers just kept going out and just attacking Shaq and roberts ended up with like 48 points in the game mm-hmm. they ended up losing by two in overtime 
two or four. I don't know. It was a close game. They, they lost in overtime. But he you know, had a monster game. He just started to wear Shaq and Roberts down. And, um, you know, Shaq and Roberts were just like, man, this guy just keeps coming. It doesn't matter what we do to him. He just keeps coming. You yep. know, and he was by himself. He's not, he was like six inches shorter than Shaq. But he, you know, just had this huge heart and toughness about his game. Yeah, you know, so early in his senior year in 89-90, Gathers was diagnosed with an abnormal heartbeat after he had collapsed in, during a game uh, earlier in the season. And he was placed on medication. He returned a few weeks later, but he, he struggled, and he, he blamed the medication for his struggles. Um, and then they, they gradually decreased the dosage as he, he seemed to get stronger. And his play recovered, and he was looking like the old Hank Gathers Again, and then during the WCC tournament in 1990, that's when he, he collapsed a second time uh, during the semifinal game and uh, passed away in the hospital later. And um, Pooh played the entire second half after, after learning the news, uh, but admitted after the game that he wasn't in it. And then the, the entire Lakers team, urged on by Magic Johnson, who we already mentioned he had a relationship with, came into Louisville's locker room to give Pooh their condolences. So uh, quite a moment for, for our, young, our young rookie here, losing a good and friend. Yeah, and Pooh, in fact, even left tickets um, for Hank to uh, to come and watch that game. You know, after his game was over, mm-hmm. so that he could come in and, and see the Wolves play the Lakers. So that's how close they were. He had Pooh had said after the you know a couple of days after the um, passing of Hank Gathers that he had talked to him two days before he had passed, and you know he said that Hank was in great spirits and was healthy and excited about the tournament and was planning on winning the MVP and, mm-hmm. you know, just him, you know, his normal self. He said, Pooh said that he knows the medication made him sleepy and it just felt fatigued. And he said he thought he wasn't sure. This is Pooh's words. He goes, I was, that he wasn't sure, but he thought that Hank Gathers had switched medications fairly recently. And that that's why that sort of the, what turned him around in terms of like not being as fatigued and feeling so great and yeah. feeling like he was going to be able to win the MVP at this WCC tournament. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that they ever sort of figured out if, if he had stopped taking it and that's what caused, you know, the issue yeah. or mm-hmm. if it was, um, the new medication was partly to blame or what, what the case was. I know his family had, had sued the school and stuff and they, they didn't win. So I didn't really dig too much into the legal case and all that. I just sort of, read the articles about Hank Gathers. And then I remember from the 30 for 30 special kind of some of the stuff, but there was never any definitive um, cause other than just, you know, the underlying health conditions he was already suffering from. Yeah. You know, big year of highs and lows for Pooh. And I mean, another high, he comes out almost immediately after this event, which has just got to shock him to his core two days later. And he has probably his best game of the season against the Clippers um, leads the Wolves to a win as 27 points and 14 assists, both of which are career highs up to that point. It's, and it's just a testament to how good of a player Pooh Richardson was for this Wolves team that year. Yeah. And how tough he was. I mean, just, yeah. you know, just a gritty, you know, kid. Yeah. I just, I wish I could watch him again. I mean, just regularly and get a sense for how good he actually was because all i can see is box scores there aren't very many games to even go back and watch aside from that bulls right. one that we watched and but some of the numbers he's putting up man are, are just insane for a rookie point guard they are and, and you think back to it because all the talk is that the wolves passed on tim hardaway you know yep going with hindsight being what it is you know 30 years later all, all we ever remember is that we could have had tim hardaway in that draft and so it's like you kind of it kind of just forces you to think or we remember Pooh as being like a bust and mm-hmm. he wasn't, I mean, he was actually, you know, like you said, he was at this point, you know, talked about as the runner up to rookie of the year behind only David Robinson, who really yeah, you'll was take never going to relinquish that. Right. Yeah. He was never going to relinquish that title. No. Tim Hardaway had no chance of, of winning that from David Robinson either. So, um, you know, yeah, like you said, you take that no, no problem. Yeah. And so, you know, he was, he was legit. I mean, really good player. So after two more close losses uh, at home to Phoenix and San Antonio, the Wolves conclude their 10-5 and five, uh, home stretch with a 20-point blowout of New York before losing uh, five straight, but four of the five are by six points or less. So still being a competitive team, but once they start hitting the road, they, they start to lose it a little bit. Um, and by, by March 17th, I found, I think, what must be the first article in Wolves history <laughs> wishing that they were in the Eastern Conference. So we have a 30-year streak now of yearly claims that the Wolves need to be in the Eastern Conference for better competitiveness. Which didn't take long at all, because didn't... I don't know if we talked about this on one of our earlier episodes, but 
didn't the Wolves, you know, owners and, and administrative group kind of petition to go to the West because they didn't want to face Jordan and the Bulls? I don't know. That would uh, I thought that was like surprising. one of the early stories that was that was one of the concerns, or maybe it was something I read later, you know, a decade later or mm-hmm. so when they're talking about why the wolves were still in the West and, you know, during one of the realignment mm-hmm. periods around there, I just remember reading something, some nugget at some point that for whatever reason, somebody within the organization at some point had petitioned to go to the West because they didn't want to have to face the Detroit's Chicago's and New York's yeah. uh, of the world at that, in that era, they thought they'd have a better chance, you know, competing against the Western conference teams, even if it meant, Having a lot of these 9 p.m. starts. <laughs> yeah, which have plagued us since. Oh, they're brutal. Yep. <laughs> so on that same day, so March 17th, like I said, was when that article came out. Also on March 17th, the Wolves lost by two to the Lakers, um, playing them again. Uh, but Todd Murphy probably had his best game of the season. He had 24 points nine and nine rebounds, uh, eight of which were offensive. So another big offensive rebounding game. But Todd Murphy uh, found many articles leading down to the, the stretch of this season about how much of a bright spot he was in the team for where he had come from, not being, you know, in the league before, kind of being along with Sam Mitchell, a an off season tryout type guy and really holding down that power forward position for most of the year. He he was a, a strong contributor to that team and just really a, a good sensation for what they had expected out of him. Yeah, and he he didn't play much in the game we watched um against the Bulls that we watched together, if I recall. Like he didn't play a ton of minutes in that game, but um so we didn't get to see a lot mm-hmm. of him. You know, to refresh our memories, what kind of player he was, but yeah, his yeah, jump did. shot really came into play during the season too. I mean, the first half of the season, especially the game that we did watch, he really had trouble even finishing around the basket, let alone shooting mm-hmm. jumpers. And he really started to find that throughout the year, and he got a lot more confidence in himself. So, a, a good season for Todd Murphy, and, and happy for what he what he accomplished that year. So, um, McKinney once again is out scouting. Uh, this time he's. Speaking highly of Gary Payton, who's going to be another uh, prospect in the upcoming draft. So now Derek Coleman and, and Gary Payton are two guys that they expect to be available. Um, and teams are anxious to know if multiple underclassmen are going to come out, like Larry Johnson, as we mentioned before, or Chris Jackson or Doug Smith. Um, I don't know who Chris Jackson or Doug Smith are. So Isn't Chris Jackson Muhammad Abdul Rauf? You know what? That does ring a bell. That's probably it. Yep. That, that's... I'm pretty sure that's who that is, and he changed his name yep. when he converted. So, yes, religions. Chris Jackson yep. then would have been a good pick, absolutely. Yep. But, um, but yeah, so Derek Coleman and Gary Payton are looking like the top two prospects, at least from the senior class heading into the draft, that they can expect to be coming up. So, uh, And McKinney, I mean, he's he's hitting on the right guys, right? Yep. Like, So it's, you know, all good so far. He's at least <laughs> identifying. I mean, usually when you're picking in the top three or four, hopefully it's not too much of a question mark as to, who are the top guys are going to be. It's just picking the right one as we've right, right. Uh, talked a lot about this year with the Wolves having had the first overall pick and still having trouble, you know, figuring out who the, the first pick should be. But um, so on March 19th, Todd Murphy guaranteed that the Wolves would break their then at the moment, 19 game road losing streak before returning home nine days later, which is really a bold claim for this team. Even with, multiple games coming up they've lost 19 games in a row on the road so even with the strong home stretch and the the 10 and 5 stretch they had at home they've lost 19 in a row on the road and that's a that's a young expansion team there for you right right away yeah that's a yikes <laughs> mm-hmm. Pooh uh, Poo and Tim had their final match Tim Hardaway had their final matchup of the season we talked about three of them in our last episode before the all-star break but they finally get to go at each other one more time uh, Golden State does end up winning again. Uh, Pooh had 10 points and 6 assists, so not the, to the level of play that we had been seeing out of him for much of the second half of the season. Uh, and Hardaway had 8 points and 8 assists. So um, I think, as we mentioned, Pooh largely won uh, the two middle games of this matchup and then played the, they were played each other close during the first and fourth matchup. So uh, at least head-to-head, it seemed like Pooh... Um, at least had, got the edge. Yeah, got yeah. the edge over Hardaway. Yeah, I mean, he didn't dominate or anything like that. But considering, you know, what ever, sort of everybody remembers it as is like, uh, you know, first round knockout by Tim Hardaway. Yeah, it really wasn't that. You know, that first year they were pretty comparable. And if anything, if you're going to pick a winner, it's going to be Pooh in terms of their head to head matchups. Yeah, and with the rest of the numbers, I you know I don't know at this point exactly where Hardaway was at the 70 game mark or exactly you know how he was performing, but. Um... It's hard to predict that he was matching up with Pooh with some of the numbers that he was putting up. Right, right. So, 
That losing streak, which we had mentioned was at 19 games, culminates at 22 games uh, with a 120 to 99 loss to Phoenix, which 120 points this day and age doesn't seem like uh, that out of the ordinary, but that was the second most points the Wolves would give up all season. And um, just not a good performance that day. Phoenix seemed to kind of have their number. They, they really struggled against Phoenix that year. But um, but yeah, then they finally do end up halting the losing streak in a victory over Portland in the time frame that Todd Murphy said they'd do it. So he, he came, he uh, was correct on that before they returned home. They ended their, home, their road losing streak. And it was a, actually a really surprising victory for the Wolves. You know, the Portland had the league's fourth best record and won 11 of their past 12, but Minnesota won by five, and it was their first road victory since December 2nd. So uh, quite the stretch that they went on, but a, a nice win for the team. Yeah, and yeah, like you said, Port- Portland was a strong team, much stronger than some of these teams that they were, they were losing to. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, a bit surprising there. Yeah, Pooh, you know, once again got back to his form. He had 20 points, 11 assists, which was needed because uh, Sidney Lowe had zero points and one assist in that game. So uh, Pooh has really grabbed the reins of this point guard rotation here for the Timberwolves, even though Lowe came into the season as Musselman's guy. Yeah, and, and I mean, was was keeping that position even when he was being outplayed earlier in the season and just for whatever reason, Musselman just, you know, he would give Pooh a, a, a start or two and then you know, pull him with the hook mm-hmm. again. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. Yep. So after having lost 22 in a row on the road, the Wolves beat Portland and they almost won a second straight game, but instead they lose in overtime to the Clippers. Um, and this was actually their their sixth straight overtime loss. And the only overtime victory they had all year was that very first one we talked about against Philadelphia. So they end up one and seven or one and six in overtime on the year. And I mean, obviously it's an expansion team. It's, it's a young team. It's not somebody that's going to a contender. So you might expect a little bit of jitters in late game situations and especially in the fourth quarter problems that, that we talked about earlier, but it's a, uh, it's got to feel kind of rough to, to never be able to close out these, these close games in the fourth quarter overtime. Yeah. No chemistry either. I mean, you know, it's their first season playing together where a lot of these teams, especially back in this era, mm-hmm. guys, guys were lifers on teams, you know, by and large. I mean, the guys that would be shuffling from team to team were fringe players. They weren't regular rotation guys for the most part. So at this point, you know, like you're you're competing with teams that where the players really knew each other and kind of knew where the, their teammates wanted the ball. So, so I think that's probably what hurt the Wolves at this point more than than anything. I mean, the talent and then just the familiarity with each other. Yeah. You know, so they, they've been on the road for, I think, at least 10, 10 straight games at this point. Uh, they get to return home uh, for one game before heading out on the road again. Uh, at this point, they've won 10 of their last 16 at home, and they win one more time. They win 93-88 over Sacramento to push their season record to 19-51 and 51 after 70 games. So considering the fact that they've won 11 of their past 17 games at home, only having a 19 total win seems a little uh, disheartening. Yeah, but you know, I wonder what the um, over-under was for the wins for the season at the beginning of the season by odds makers. It'd be an interesting... Uh... Yeah, it would be interesting to see um, if you could find that. Yeah, just to see what what they expect. Because to me, you, you look at expansion teams, 19 wins by the end would have seen, you know, mm-hmm. above what I'd probably predict. I probably would predict for an expansion team, 15 wins, you know, as the over-under. And so, yeah, like you said, you know, you had that nice home stretch and then you just get obliterated on the road. But prior to that long, you know, road stretch, you... Yep. you your record was looking a lot better percentage-wise. Yeah, before they just couldn't hold it together at all on the road. But like I said, they beat Sacramento uh, in 1951, um, and they get another surprise victory on the road with a victory at Dallas uh, on a Sam Mitchell putback at the buzzer. So an- another road victory. They're not only winning at home, they're starting to win on the road too and uh, feeling pretty good about themselves before uh, losing at Houston, before winning another two-point game on the road at San Antonio this time. So that's four out of six overall, and three out of the last five on the road have come at uh, become victories, Chad. So uh, probably the last really good stretch of the season, but lots of fun. And beating uh, David Robinson, who we, were, we talked about yeah. earlier, as uh, you know, the, um, the matchup between Pooh and, and Robinson, not their head-to-head different yeah. positions, but. They really the came two out. Rookies. Yeah, battled head to head again. Yep. So they really came out hot in the first half. They led by 14 at halftime. Um, and like we said, they only 
ended up winning by two, but Tony Campbell still said that was probably their best win of the year by far uh, up to that point. So uh, they were all, they were feeling pretty good about themselves. Um, unfortunately, they finished the year one and eight. They can't keep the, the strong play going. Um, but their lone win was against fellow expansion team, Orlando, the Orlando Magic. Um, and at the time, it was the fourth largest crowd in NBA history of 45,458 fans. And uh, the previous three uh, th- that were ahead of it all came at the Silver Dome for the one year that the Pistons played there in 87-88. So uh, the biggest crowd of the year um, saw possibly their biggest win of the year. And Musselman wanted to beat Orlando so badly because of the competition from what they had said after the expansion draft and how they expected to be the, the better team and how they chased veterans um, that he sat his top six players for almost the entire second half of the previous game against Philadelphia and took a <laughs> took a 33-point loss. And he only played those six players up until the final 22 seconds against Orlando so that they were all rested and they can just run the whole time. So he wanted so that spiteful. one really bad. I know. <laughs> yeah, just just can't make it up. So Corbin, Murphy, Brewer, Campbell, Richardson, and Mitchell played almost the entire game. And Corbin, uh, you know, we talked about how strong he played against uh, Philadelphia uh, right at the beginning of the season, how that must have been his best game of the season. Well, he, he topped it here. He had 36 points, 19 rebounds, and six assists in 47 minutes. So... That's like KG MVP year numbers. Yeah. I don't like some of these numbers that these guys are throwing out. I know they're playing a ton of minutes, so their per 36s can't be that great. But some of these individual game lines, I just, I, we don't see no. those anymore from, no, they're just ridiculous. Even from all stars. I just don't understand no. how they're, how they're doing this. But Pooh had 26 and 12. Campbell scored 27. So they get their final win of the year. Uh, they had a lot of fun with it. And they finished 22 and 60. 17 and 24 at home with a very respectable home record and 5 and 36 on the road. Um and it was it was a fun year. They definitely had some really good individual performances. They were an expansion team, so you didn't expect a whole lot out of them except one of the the feathers in their cap is that they ended up with a better record than all three of the other uh recent expansion teams, uh Miami, Orlando, and Charlotte, and then they also beat New Jersey, who as we talked about previously was the worst team in the league at the time. So they end up with the fifth fifth worst record in the league, um, and uh, you know you take that heading into the year. Yeah, I think that. You, I mean, any time that you come into a league with you know right around the same time as three other teams, and you in your first year finish ahead of them, mm-hmm. you know, you, I think the outlook's looking the best for your team, your organization, if you're, you know, showing that you're outperforming them already. So, I think the, and then you have a lot of young ish players that you're as part of your core, whether it's, you know, and Pooh and Tony Campbell and Ty Corbin and um, Sam Mitchell all sort of cemented in there. I think as a Wolves fan in 1999, you got to be pretty excited for the future thinking that, you know, sunnier days are coming. Yeah. You know, with another year of experience, another year of playing together with Musselman trying to continue building a system, you definitely have to expect a, a fairly significant size leap that second year with some another top pick. You know, yep. that you, you know, add a, a, another impact player potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're, you know, it's, it's all, it's all good. I mean that, yeah, like you said, the record 22 and 60 is not, not a good record by any stretch, but if you could just turn around those, some of those road games, I mean, you're, you know, that home record was remarkably good for a first year team. Yep. So, you know, some of the numbers for the team, they, they played with the slowest pace in the league to, you know, 27th out of 27 with only 91 possessions a game, but, uh, even taking that into account, the fact that they finished second in the league with opponents' points per game at 99.4 was very impressive, and it just really calls to a Musselman-led team, and that's what he's built his entire career on, his defense. Yeah, and, and it's probably, I mean, I know that it's sort of his system regardless, but for an expansion team that doesn't really know each other yet, to slow the pace down so you have less possessions to to really have to sort of worry about, you know, because at this point you're not you're not like, excited for each possession because you're not not sure what this inexperienced team can do so to limit the possessions focus on what you do well which is defense and then just hope for the best on offense um and let your young guys sort of figure it out and and they all did i mean you know as we've talked about at nauseum that tony campbell's ty corbin's and richardson's really evolved in some pretty strong offensive players they really did at the end of the season and another another big moment for the timberwolves and one that any fan who has been to a game over the past 30 years will will already know is that they set the NBA all-time record for attendance in a season at 1,072,572 fans over the course of a year. So um, 
it's the it's one of the only banners hanging in the target center right now and we've all seen it but <laughs> but uh they've they've really held on to that one but that was a, a big moment you know especially playing in a dome and being their first year they they got all the buy-in that they needed from the from this minnesota crowd to to support their team to get them off on a good foot and you know probably help that home record yeah oh yeah i'm sure i mean you don't think too much, especially now in this COVID era of teams, you know, having too much of a home court advantage, you know, like how much does it really matter? But clearly, you know, the, the numbers aren't lying here when you're talking 17 and 24 at home and five and three. I mean, that's such a stark contrast that mm-hmm. obviously having those huge crowds had to have made a big impact. I mean, it's been nice this year in the NBA with no crowds in these arenas to actually see that home court advantage has almost disappeared and to know like you can make a difference maybe not as an individual but as a crowd like the crowd can make a difference in an nba game and that is just fun to know because you always worry like are these players getting to a point where the crowd just no matter how hard they're trying no matter how loud they're yelling just doesn't really impact the game anymore and you wonder about that in football because if home court or home field advantage had been disappearing for years in the nfl but the fact that all of a sudden, when crowds aren't allowed in these games anymore, home court advantage is almost disappear is almost gone completely. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it really feels good as a fan to to believe that you can still play even a minor role. Yeah, and the other thing I've heard an old time player, and I don't remember who it is, so I can't give him credit for this. But um, one other thing, like within with the NBA players, is that you don't think about directly, but about home court advantages is when you're on the road and you're a seven footer you're not getting very good sleep in a hotel mm-hmm. in a bed made for six footers, you know? <laughs> um, so particularly like in the late eighties, early nineties, when hotels were just, you know, not as yeah. nice as they are today. Like today hotels, you can get hotels with, you know, California King size beds and, and things like that. So that you're, these players are probably treated a lot better today yep. on the road than they were in 1989, 1990. Um, so, so that can't be discounted as well, but when you're talking these crowds of 45,000 people for an NBA game, um, that's, that's crazy. Cause what is yeah. it? I mean, target and center 20 is right. Yeah. It's 18 now, isn't it? 18, yeah. As I say, yeah. it's 18, right around 18, six or 18, whatever it is in the 18 thousands. So you're, I mean, it's more than double yeah. what the target center has and target center can get pretty loud when things are rolling for the walls. I mean, you know, Minnesota crowds do really well. I mean, it's like the KG era when, um, we were winning. The, mm-hmm. That was like the place to be. And that place was just a buzz. I mean, you can look at old footage on YouTube and that, I mean, it's, yeah, it got loud. It's pandemonium there. So yeah. Target center got loud, but we've all, we've, both of us have heard a loud Metrodome too. And there's right, really right. not much that compares to a loud Metrodome. No, so, I mean, with that many people, it's just like, how do you, how do you compete in a, with half as many people? You yeah. Know? So yeah, it had to have affected other teams to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know you know you look at how Musselman kind of worked things too. Like did he, you know, sandbag some of the road games um, by playing guys, you know, less minutes or you know, I mean, it didn't seem like it too much. Most guys were playing lots of minutes every night. It wasn't just that Philadelphia. Or it may have just been that Philadelphia game where he yep. um, sort of sat guys so that he could beat Orlando the next night. <laughs> but um, you know, who knows what, what all other tricks he might have had up his sleeve to kind of help tweak that. But again, I mean. It, all that stuff, if if you consider all those items, like you have to look at just the the crowd noise being a factor to make that big of a difference between the records at home and on the road. Yeah, it would have been fun to, I mean, be older than we were at the time and attending those games yeah. and really be able to look back on it and know how loud that was. You know, so we should both ask around and just find people who we know that were at those games and just see if they remember what that felt like. Yeah, because my first Wolves game was at the Target Center, so okay. I never even saw one at the at the dome so mm-hmm. but i i had been to big twins games at the dome and big vikings games at the dome um so i know what those crowds sound yep. like and you know it was i remember plugging my ears and i don't plug my ears for a lot you know it was that loud so um i can only imagine you know the first season of nba basketball the crowd was going to be pretty pretty rowdy sounds pretty fun so they finished 22 and 60 we're heading into the off season. Uh, And just to bring it all the way back to the beginning of the season, if we remember right before the season started, they traded our good friend Rick Mahorn to Philadelphia. They got a first-round pick back in 1990, and uh, Philadelphia had started a little bit slowly, including a loss to the Timberwolves early in the year. Um, 
Unfortunately, they finished 53 and 29 with the eighth, eighth best record in the NBA. So the Wolves are not going to have picks five and 20 if everything stands pat in the lottery um, heading into the 1990 season. Mahorn finished with 10.8 points, 7.6 rebounds. Uh, so a, a, probably a very successful year as a backup power forward to Charles Barkley. And uh, he actually claimed uh, after that game that we talked about where Musselman sat all the starters for the second half, that if Minnesota had kept him, that they would have made the playoffs last year, that year. So kind of an odd comment. I mean, it's almost like, does he wish he would have played for the Wolves because he was maybe uh, he was on a winner. So I don't know why he would have been twisted. Oh, he the was knife. on a winner, except for he was a backup. Right. You know, whereas if he would have been in Minnesota, he could have been a mm-hmm. a starter. Um, so I don't. Yeah, it's interesting comment for him to make on a team that he apparently didn't have any feelings for or didn't want to play for. Yeah. But yet he's still paying attention to what they were doing and. You know, talking about how they would have, I mean, it could have just been self-promotion, but, um, you know, clearly he was paying attention to at least what the Wolves were doing otherwise. Yeah, I mean, he directly cited the fact that the Wolves had a lot of two-point or overtime losses and the fact that they just couldn't yeah. close it out late in games. So if you had another veteran who had won championships, and especially in the front court with Pooh and Corbin and Campbell with the, in those other three positions that we talked about, he could have made a big difference on the team. I don't know if it would have been a playoff team. Actually, I, I take it back. Oh. I do know they would not have been a playoff team. Yeah, they wouldn't have been a playoff team. Because I mean, his numbers weren't that much different than Sam Mitchell. actually scored more, had maybe two less rebounds a game. Mm-hmm. But but maybe he could have played some center minutes. You know, you play small ball. Right. I don't know if that's something Musselman would have even considered. But since center was your weakest position on this team, and, you know, you had Sam, who was and you had Todd Murphy and you had some other guys that could play power forward, you know, maybe playing Rick Mahorn, some of those minutes at center would have helped. Um, you know, who knows? Yeah. What yeah. could have been, but, and then maybe he ends up killing some of these young guys too, because he's this grizzled vet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chad, we have made it to the end of the 1989, 1990 season. Uh, according to our timeline, it is April 22nd, 1990. My birthday. We're catching up. I'm I'm 13 now. Congratulations, Chad. Happy birthday. <laughs> so we will bring it back in a couple of weeks with our next historical episode. We'll really dive into how each player performed over this year. We haven't talked about a lot of their, their end of season numbers. So we'll do that. We'll, we'll see, you know, who we would give uh, end of season awards to most valuable player, possibly even least valuable player. And, uh, you know, we'll just come back and just get kind of put a final bow on this thing and see. Uh, what our final thoughts were on this inaugural season for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Next week, we'll be back uh, with another current year team uh, episode. Uh, probably spend a lot of time evaluating the the first week of uh, new coach Chris Finch's um, tenure here with the Minnesota Timberwolves and, and see how the team possibly has turned things around or not over the, the first week or so. So, Chad, this has been fun. It has, yeah. It'll be. I'm looking forward to uh, the end of the year wrapping this one up and you know starting to dig into the the off season for the for the 1991 season. Yeah, things are looking optimistic for our Minnesota Timberwolves. Right. I'm I'm pumped with this young core. There must be multiple playoff appearances in the near future coming. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure we, you know, we we get Derek Coleman in the draft and he's our center of the future. And... I mean, even if we miss out on the first pick, we at least get Gary <laughs> Payton with the second pick. Yeah, I mean, but then what do you do with him and Pooh? I, you know. I don't know. You, you got to figure something out. You'll you'll trade yeah, one maybe, of them. Yeah, we'll trade the pick. Get David Robinson. Okay, done, <laughs> done. It's like a clear plan for the future. So, all right, buddy, it's been good to talk to you. Yeah, have a good night, man. All right, I'll talk to you soon. See ya.